Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Good morning. We are, oh, that was good to hear. (laughs) We are starting a new series called Lost and Found. We're basing it on the three parables that are found in Luke 15 um, about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the the prodigal son. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at those um, and looking at what they reveal. Because what they really reveal is the love and joy that God has when something that was lost has been found. And it reflects the heart of God. He doesn't wait passively for us. He actively seeks us. He's actively seeking the lost and looking to reconcile us with him at all times. When we start to dig into this, you'll notice that Jesus is actually speaking to the Pharisees. And I'm going to talk a lot about that this morning, about the Pharisees. Just to give you a little context of the overall chapter, the first two examples are of money, and the last is about a person. I think it's significant, first of all, that Jesus goes straight and he, he just tells this lesson three different ways, basically. So I feel like from the beginning, he knew the Pharisees were going to have a hard time getting this. Like, oh, he was like, oh, great, I'm going to have to do this at least three times um, before they're even going to think about catching on. Um, but the Pharisees liked money. So his first two examples involve money, although we think of the sheep. Sheep have a very significant financial value, obviously. Um, I'm going to tell this story because I've always wanted to find a place to put it in a sermon. I've never found one until now, so I'm super excited. We used to live in Greece. We lived in Greece for a year, and we lived on the island of Crete in a very rural environment um, near the Navy base that was there. But the process of getting from our house to the base or into the town or anywhere, you came across sheep at least once during your your trip. Um, A shepherd was moving his sheep from pasture to pasture, and you just stopped and you waited. Now, here's where the financial tie-in comes in. If you hit one to three sheep, it was your fault. And not only did you have to pay for that sheep, but you had to pay for the equivalent of the next seven generations of that sheep. If you hit four or more, it was considered the shepherd's fault. So the going advice was, if you're going to hit one, you better take out a couple. (laughs) Um, Luckily, I never hit a sheep. I just want that to also go on record. So, But it shows the the financial impact that it wasn't just that one sheep. It was the future generations of that sheep that were also very financially significant. And also, as we look at parables, I just want to kind of let us dig into a little bit about what Jesus was doing with the parables and why he was using them and why he used them so frequently. Para means next to, and then the bole, B-O-L-E, means to cast or set. And it's a saying or a teaching or a story that sits alongside another reality. It's a parallel reality that Jesus is weaving into to help us gain new insight. He wanted us to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. And it ultimately is about himself and his mission. It is about the kingdom of God arriving here on heaven. And like I mentioned, the first two involve money and the last one is a person. But they're all equally important and they all reflect the kingdom of God. So as we read from the word of God, can you please stand as you are able? 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. So in the first two, oh, excuse me, sit down, sorry. I have to stand for the whole sermon, thank goodness. (laughs) So in the first two verses, the Pharisees were muttering, and my kids aren't here, so I'm going to say this in this service. I feel like it was like teenagers. Like I can, I figure there's probably a little bit of eye rolling involved. They're over there muttering and talking about how Jesus is um, fraternizing and eating with these tax collectors, with these sinners. And there's that point in the story where we have to look at and decide. Obviously, like I mentioned, when Jesus tells a story, he's trying to get us to look at something and see things from different perspectives. And oftentimes we're that lost sheep. And we have wandered and we need to be reminded that God is going to seek after us actively no matter what. And he's going to bring us back home on his shoulders. But he's also addressing the Pharisees. He's speaking directly to them through these, um, through these three parables. And even Jesus, when he starts to talk about it, he says, suppose one of you, he's having them, the Pharisees, put themselves in this position. Don't you leave the 99. He's describing a righteous and good shepherd, but he's trying to get them to see themselves as that righteous and good shepherd. And yes, this parable is about God's pursuit of us when we're lost, but it's also about joy upon being found. Jesus was also addressing the Pharisees because they were unwilling to seek sinners and they were unable to rejoice or unwilling to rejoice at their repentance. They seemed to be stuck in this endless cycle of rule following and enforcement that didn't allow them to move and pursue in God's love and to also rejoice in that love. So what were their mutterings really about? Luke 5.29 Let's us know previously that Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, had a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating with them. Jesus had been eating with sinners and welcoming them for quite some time now, so these mutterings have probably been going on for quite a while. The Pharisees loved the place of honor at a banquet where they could be in the limelight. Matthew 23, verses 5 through 6 says, everything they do, this is Jesus talking about the Pharisees, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. And at these banquets that Jesus was attending, the tables were not occupied by people of prominence. It wasn't going to enhance the Pharisees' image to be seen at these banquets, and nor were they given the seat of honor. The Pharisees didn't like these banquets. It wasn't about them. 
And they loved to focus on these technicalities, and they sought to protect and promote themselves. And they did this by concentrating on those external sins rather than the inner attitudes and motivations. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 for all three of these parables, so definitely this week. Start reading and praying over that as well. But if you also want to understand how Jesus and what he was addressing in the parables, go back to Matthew 23. It's a chapter of Jesus addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And you can see so much of what he's talking about in Matthew 23 is reflected in these parables that he's telling in Luke 15. He, they looked at sin as an external matter instead of a matter of the heart. And we all know that from, from Jesus came to address our hearts. God's always been after our hearts. And then when Jesus became this, the word incarnate and came to earth, that's what he came to help us understand even more fully. And Jesus challenged all of their beliefs. They had lots to mutter about. They had probably been stewing for quite some time. Jesus was throwing kingdom of God parties and banquets, and everyone was invited. He was extending God's love and forgiveness to the outcast, to the outsiders, and to the failed Israelites. He was communicating and showing that nobody is too far gone and nobody is too failed. That's that lost sheep that he went after. This is the part that's so important for us to hear from the perspective of the Pharisees and the sheep. Sometimes we are that lost sheep. And we don't realize that the Good Shepherd is pursuing us actively and seeking us and will carry us home on his grace and love. Sometimes it's about us modeling ourselves after the Good Shepherd and looking at the Good Shepherd extending himself and pursuing those who feel outcast and lost. And sometimes we're the Pharisees who don't see the lost worth pursuing and they've lost their joy. And that's the beauty of the parables is that we can take it and look at it from all these different perspectives. The Pharisees are what we're going to focus on this morning. And the Pharisees saw holiness as something that was determined by the distance you kept from sinners. That's how you were holy. You maintained your holiness. You, were, you did not come in contact with others who were who were sinners, who were other than, who were Gentiles, who were failed Israelites, and the lost and the outcast. You had to maintain your holiness through that distance. But the Bible speaks of holiness in terms of how close we are to Christ. That's where our holiness comes from. And Christ hung out with sinners. He hung out with tax collectors. There was something else present at the banquets that the Pharisees were not experiencing. And it was joy and rejoicing. That word is used three times in that short parable. And it's really important part of the parables and a part of scripture. The Pharisees were unwilling to seek to save sinners and to rejoice at their repentance. And why is that so important? Why is that joyfulness and that rejoicing so important? Remember, the purpose of the parables is to help us understand God's kingdom. And in Luke verse two, chapter 2, verse 10, when the kingdom was announced, two shepherds, by the way, when the angels said that message, 
They said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's what he came for. That's what he came to bring. The gospel, Jesus, is inextricably tied to joy. When you believe that Jesus himself has overcome death itself, and then joy is our reasonable response. When God has searched for you when you were lost and has brought you home, you understand what God's kingdom looks like for yourself and what it can look like for others. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, in the message version, it says, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. We always have joy. And if you look back through the Old Testament, through all of Scripture, you see the Israelites, you see people rejoicing in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of the desert, in the midst of their hard times. And that's where we know that it's genuine because it isn't a reflection of the moment they're in. It isn't a fleeting emotion. It's something that stays with us, that comes from an understanding of the faith and hope that we have in the promises of God. The Pharisees had a vision of what the Israelites needed to become, and it was a people who followed their, the rules. That was how they thought that the kingdom of God was going to be realized. Was, they weren't doing it just to be mean and crotchety and, and sticklers. They truly believed that the way to holiness, the way to realizing the kingdom, was by following these rules. But Jesus had a different vision. His vision was of a people and a creation filled with joy. So let's look a little bit more at this joy. The sheep was lost, but the Pharisees' joy was lost as well. So maybe that's what was lost and and found in in this parable as well. The shepherd joyfully puts the lost sheep on his shoulders And he doesn't just say, follow me, once he finds him. He picks him up, puts him on his shoulders, joyfully, and carries him home. He joyfully pursues, finds, and extends his grace to us, thinking about what that that sheep is feeling at that moment. Think about that moment when you've been lost, and you you finally know that you're home. You finally know that you're safe the peace that comes with that. And we don't do anything, have to do anything, but share that joy with others. And then he gets home and he calls his neighbors and friends together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And this is the church surrounding and rejoicing. It's not just a slap on the back to welcome him home, but a continuation to extend God's love and grace. 
And then the scripture goes on to say there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner on earth as it is in heaven. There's rejoicing and joy throughout this parable. And in a world corrupted by sin, joy is an attitude of God's people that they adopt not because of the circumstances that we are in, but because of our hope in God's promises. Jesus is the good news, and he brings great joy. He is the word incarnate. He brings great joy. The message delivered to the shepherds originally back at the beginning of Luke, they weren't highly regarded. But they were told about the kingdom first. The Pharisees are missing out. They've lost their joy. So it leaves us with some questions about the Pharisees and for us to look at within ourselves. I will say this week has been a journey um, when I start preparing for a sermon as I go through the week and as I start to, to read the scripture and pray over it, it really starts to, to speak to me within my own heart and convict me. And it really got me thinking about how does this apply to me, to my life? Where am I like a Pharisee? And um, what is Jesus trying to teach me through this parable? There was something that obviously made them angry and bitter. They could not find joy in the repentance of a sinner. And it's because they weren't participating in the grace of God as it was at work in the lives of others. Joy is more than that happy passing feeling. It's a lasting emotion, like I said, that comes with our choice to trust a God who will fulfill all of his promises. In a world corrupted by sin, we can experience joy because of that hope and those promises. It is not determined by our struggles or our situation. It's determined by our God, his grace, and our hope. And so this parable is not just about the lost sheep. It's about that lost or unfound joy. I'm not sure if the Pharisees ever had it to lose it to begin with. So how do we find that joy, and how do we reclaim that joy? And we do that first by placing our hope and faith in God's promises. And then we do what Jesus did. We get in close proximity to those who, know Jesus, who don't know Jesus. Sinners and those who society says are other or them. That's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus surrounded himself with. That was who he pursued. That was who he actively sought after. It's who he banqueted with. It's who he rejoiced with. He's trying to show the Pharisees what they have lost or maybe have never had. This society says to the Pharisees that those are others or them. And any time others and them starts to creep into our vocabulary... It's not from God. Because Jesus didn't see that. He just held a banquet for everyone, period. But banquets with everyone can get messy. They're going to be different customs and norms, but it's about coming together in joy and doing it Jesus' way, which means with everyone. It means with joy, with an abundance of joy. And remember, the Pharisees wanted the banquet to be all about them. That's that distinction again. 
them, us, them, that division. And Jesus' banquets were about the restored and the redeemed. So all the social norms, all the rules that the Pharisees loved so much weren't followed. And because it couldn't be on their terms, and also can't be on our terms, it means that being the church in the world through our words and our actions is done on Jesus' terms. And that's who we're supposed to be in proximity with, who we're supposed to follow, and who we're supposed to imitate. That's where our joy lies. You have to get off the beaten path of what the world tells you. The Pharisees followed the rules to a T. They tithed down to their spices, a tenth of their spices. Now go home today, and when you're seasoning your dinner, (laughs) take a tenth of it and push it over, and you're going to tithe that next Sunday. Um, (laughs) We're going to get some crazy things next week. But that was what they did. That was how meticulous they were. But they weren't willing to get down in the middle of people's struggles because they could not share what they had not yet experienced and didn't understand. And that's grace. And because they were not experiencing the joy of God's promises, they couldn't share in that joy when someone else experienced it. They felt the burden of it, of all the rules that they followed. But they probably felt pretty good about themselves too. I mean, there was obviously some kind of payoff to what they were doing, obviously. There's so often many times that we get those little pats on the back or the little, the, when we know we've done something good and it feels good, it makes us happy. And God wants us to have that feeling, but what he's really after is a transformed heart that's rejoicing and joyful. He's calling us to share the good news with everyone and no one is excluded. Everyone is invited to the banquet. And because all those who were lost but now are found are invited, there's not a good seat at the banquet anymore. It's just seats. It's just open. There's no place of honor. There's no rules to follow except for to respond to God's grace. But the joy comes from experiencing the grace because of our faith and hope in God's plan. And that comes from being in proximity to others. That's what Christ did. He put himself in proximity with others. Joy comes from being where Christ is, and Christ was always near those that society overlooked. Over the past few weeks, um, our Oasis Foster and Adoption Ministry has been through a lot. We had to um, sever a relationship with a Fresh Start, which is a residential treatment center. And in the midst of that, there were young men who were, had to go through an additional trauma, basically, um, had to be moved within the system. And one of the things that we already knew but really got to see up close and personal is how broken the foster system is on so many different levels. But over the past several years, through this time that we have forged this relationship with a fresh start, there were tutors and mentors who went down there worked with the kids, did activities with the kids, got to know the kids, brought the kids here to church. They've been worshiping with us. They've been a part of our family. And when all this happened, not all of them, 
But some of those boys were able to go with those mentors, with those tutors, with those families that were familiar. In the middle of that trauma, God's love and grace was there. And yes, we provided shoes, and yes, we provided clothes, and yes, we provided activities. But what really occurred over that relationship, the result of being in that close proximity with those boys, and sometimes that's a hard place to be because you have to see their trauma up close. But the result of that was that those boys were able to go with families that knew them and loved them. Not all of them, but that was the result of that proximity. Then in the midst of all of that, we were able to, to I hate to say capitalize, but to, to move on those relationships that were already established. And that's what happens when we get in close proximity. That's when God's grace and love is able to move and be seen in action. And maybe your proximity is who you're sitting with on the sidelines at your child's sports and activities. Maybe your proximity is in your family. Maybe you need to shake things up and put yourself in a position, maybe not just to be in different places, but also maybe just being more aware of who God brings into close proximity with you. It may not be something particularly big. It may not be taking in a foster child. It may just be sitting with someone who's alone and struggling. It may not be convenient or efficient, but Jesus rarely did what made sense to the rest of the world. He operated in his own time not the world's. And maybe you need to experience the joy of trusting God's promises for you for the first time. Maybe you have never fully found that joy yet, or maybe you've lost that joy. And I encourage you to find someone, whether that's a pastor or someone here at church, and you know which people have that joy because you can see it in their lives. You can see it in the way that they they live their faith out. It's someone who rejoices no matter what their circumstances are. And yes, once we were lost, but now we are found. And then our joy is complete. And Jesus is trying to help us see the world from his new perspective, where we are not just recipients of his grace, but participants in the kingdom so that our joy will be complete. We rejoice because we understand what God has done for us, and we rejoice when we see someone else experience and understand God's promises as well. We know joy when we are the lost sheep who has been found by the shepherd, when Jesus carries us home and we are surrounded by rejoicing on earth as it is in heaven. And then we rejoice as others return home, as others return to the banquet. And God's infinite grace results in infinite joy. And so as we move through this next few weeks of examining these parables, I want to encourage you to take the time, look at it from all different perspectives. Sometimes we're the sheep, sometimes we're the Pharisee, But there's always been something lost. 
but there is always tremendous joy at it being found. And that joy is available to each and every one of us. And when we feel like we've lost, never found it, or if we feel like we've lost that joy, that's the amazing thing about God's infinite and unending grace, is he's just waiting there for us again. The shepherd didn't just go look for a sheep one time. I guarantee you that wasn't the only one that ever wandered off. There were 99 others, and he didn't forget about them. But he knew their needs were met for the moment, and he pursued the one who was lost. And the amazing thing about the loving God that we follow is that he will continue to search for us over and over again, no matter how many times we feel lost and disconnected from him. He is constantly pursuing us and constantly rejoicing and picking us up joyfully and placing us on his shoulders where we can come back to a community that rejoices with us as the angels rejoice in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.